to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, Jean-Luc. Jean-Luc. I'm Captain Catherine Janeway of the USS Voyager. Captain Catherine Janeway of the USS Voyager. Welcome to the greatest generation! <laughs> it's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys just a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I kind of Bill Maher'd that one, didn't I? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I'm Adam Pranica. And uh, joining us as a panel of anti-vaxxers and right-wing freaks, I'm Ben Harrison. <laughs> hey, you're on the panel today, Ben. Ah, fuck! <laughs> yeah, you fucked up. Um, yeah, but Sarah Silverman will be joining us after the panel, so... <laughs> oh, I'll stick around for that. Yeah. She's always great. She's good in everything. Yeah. Even yep. on Bill Maher. Yeah. I understand she's in uh, Voyager uh, storyline here in a oh, couple yeah. seasons, so I'm looking Buckle forward up. to that. Yeah. It's going to be great. Yeah. It, it was Halloween yesterday, Ben. <laughs> oh, yeah. It sure was, Adam. I'm not sure if you remember. The, I mean, the memories are still with me, uh, tr- treasured memories. What did you dress up as? I, uh, you know, I've never, I, ever since I stopped being a kid, I've had a real hard time getting it up for dressing up. And I feel, right. I feel bad about it. I'm not proud of that fact. It's funny what a, what a like force multiplier it is to have a, a latent amount of social anxiety about feeling like just silly in public generally. <laughs> And then yeah. to know for certain that you're leaning into the silly. Yeah. This is a thing I've always admired about people who come to our shows dressed up. Like it in cosplay, it, I admire it more than I would say, than I think a, a normal person would because I don't have that in me to do. It's so incredible every time I encounter it. When I was making the Engadget show, we went to a Hollywood costume shop. And mm-hmm. the guy that ran it was telling us about like the costume parties he goes to every Halloween yeah. with the Hollywood like special effects makeup and costume community. I mean, I think that's maybe the barrier for me is like, I know if I applied my own makeup and made my own <laughs> costume or even bought the costume that I could afford, it would right. be the shitty version right? and nothing to be proud of. I, yeah. And, and like, as people that like really admire it when it's executed at such a high level and like who look for it, I feel like, you know, and that's the thing that I think is so exciting about some of the cosplay we've seen at -hmm. our shows, especially like we had a a person dressed up as a Borgs one time. I think that was in um, Minneapolis, I want to say. I don't know how it chooses it but my phone has been choosing that photo a lot like <laughs> oh, for the man. memories like hey you remember how cool this was send i see it, it all to, the time uh, send it to bill tilly so that it can be on the uh, in the instagram when this That's episode right. goes up i will do that yeah because that costume was absolutely amazing and we were such dummies we were like arms you know arm in arm like grinning ear to ear and they were like don't smile i'm a borg <laughs> <laughs> You know, that's the whole vibe I'm trying to project here. Yeah. They said, Ben and Adam, not good at kayfabe. Yeah. But we have some FODs that are great at cosplay. Yeah. And uh, and I feel like it's it's like that. Like if I if I was going to do it, I, wanted, I would want to be doing it at such a high level that yeah. like I can't get it up to even start. <laughs> yeah. It's really true. Um, I mean, the episode we've got today, Ben, I feel like has so many costumes it's really a costume designer's dream right here it's a feast for the eyes costume wise yeah i had an idea that we might look at the bible verse about ensign kim for this episode because he plays a fairly central role in this episode before i enter into the nightmare of this episode (laughs) you want to get sanctified (laughs) the scripture may help me as i walk through the valley of the shadow of michael mckeon the power of Brandon Braga compels you. It's good to see you all in church. It's called the Bible. That's the way God wants it. I don't know why, dude. All these questions? Is a little blind faith too much to ask? Adam, uh, I am cracking into our Star Trek Voyager show Bible here. 
flipping past character after character to get to Harry Kim. This is on page 11. Harry Kim, the ops slash communication officer, is a human of Asian descent, and the happiest day of his life was when he reported to duty aboard Voyager. He's the only child of a couple which had tried for years to conceive. He was their great pride, their golden child. He grew up with love, warmth, and support, and an assumption that he would excel at whatever he chose. More than anything, he wanted to fulfill that expectation to repay his parents for their undying devotion to him. After Voyager was swept to, to the far reaches of the galaxy, when he realized he would never see his parents again and they would believe him dead, his greatest regret was for the pain they would feel. But if Harry was raised with love and care, he was also raised in a somewhat sheltered way. So Harry has some growing up to do. Having never experienced adversity, he has fewer of the tools for coping than some of the others. If he tries to keep such thoughts from surfacing, he's scared. He's in over his head on this mission. He thought he'd be gone a month and then go home to share his adventures with his folks, but what has happened is unthinkable, and often he has the sensation that it's just a bad dream. Mm. He goes about his duties with diligence. It's comforting somehow to have a job to do, but more than anything else, Harry is suffering. The others know this, and in their varying ways try to give the young man a helping hand. Tom Paris creates a hangout for the crew, a billiards hall, largely to help assuage Harry's loneliness. For while their methods of handling him range from Chakotay's stern insistence on duty to Janeway's comforting maternal presence, among their crew, there's not one who doesn't like Harry Kitt. Well, uh, a piece of the uh, Voyager with you, Ben. And also with you, Adam. So endeth the reading. It's interesting how many similarities there are between Kim and, and the boy. Wesley, the boy. The boy. Young Wesley Crusher. My son. And yet the care and feeding of a Harry Kim comes across so differently than it ever did for Wesley. You know. Yeah. Well, Wesley was no stranger to a death-defying adventure. Right. And and Harry Kim is like someone who accidentally stowed away on the landing boat on D-Day, you know? <laughs> We're going to France? Cool. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard great things. I've always wanted to see Paris. Yeah. Th- there is that vibe to him. Like, it feels war-adjacent. Yeah. In terms of, like, a thing that is going to grow him up. Yeah. I think it's interesting that that uh, is clearly written before them writing the background that he has a girlfriend back at home. Yeah. Um, Because it sort of implies that he's, like, a stay-at-home adult. Like, when he's not on a Starfleet ship, he lives with mom and dad. Hmm. And uh, that's not, like, we saw what his life was like. He had a swanky pad in downtown uh, Mission District in San Francisco, and he lived with a beautiful girlfriend. Cool as hell. He was crushing it. He was a little bit more grown up than that uh, sort of implies. I wonder if that is Garrett Wong's influence on the character, you know. I wish I had the chance to know that Harry Kim a little better. (laughs) Go get a giant burrito with Harry Kim. Yeah. He seems, uh, you know, based on the reading, uniquely unable to grasp the situation of today's episode, I would say. Uh, right. as as the child of the crew yeah and and the person who is most afraid on the crew specifically yeah so the idea of dropping him into uh, a a terror ride mm-hmm. uh, is kind of interesting on the page let's see if it works in practice ben yeah as we get into star trek voyager season 2 episode 23 the thaw reverse course unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes i'm not turning around Paris is an incredibly generous friend for <laughs> hanging out in Kim's apartment, listening to him practice clarinet. The musicians of my life are not open with their invitations to come and hang out and listen to us practice. <laughs> it's not usually a thing that yeah. that they want witnessed. Yeah, and uh, it's definitely something that the neighbors don't want to witness. Obviously, Ensign Baytart doesn't appreciate music. I was kind of shocked at Paris's description of the Voyager as a ship of war. 
Yeah, I guess it was designed to go toe-to-toe with Mayquis, right? Mayquis? Guess so. This is one of those D-class ships where you're doing concertos every week, Harry Kim. Right, yeah. We're, the, we're here to shoot torpedoes and ask questions later. The, the uh, They didn't spend as much time uh, putting sound isolation materials into the walls. Though... Kim does have a noise-deadening couch that Paris is sitting on. I feel like I've seen this version of the Lazy Boy L-shaped sectional couch a uh-huh. hundred times in my life yeah. in, in basements around the world. Right, yeah. Or like in the control room side of a recording studio. I feel like yeah. the uh, the posse is always hanging out on that couch while the engineer is at the big board and the artist is in the, st- in the booth. The green rooms that we've happened to uh, spend some time in on occasion. Yeah. 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 When we've been lucky enough to tour. Kim mentions that uh, he wants to get good at blowing the horn because (laughs) uh, he's got a duet coming up with Susan Nicoletti. Lieutenant Nicoletti? The one I've been chasing for six months? Another lady on the ship that Kim got to first. I mean, are the Delaney sisters over now? Oh, yeah. Nobody talks to them anymore. God, that's, I mean, I guess that means that Paris has options for relationships. It's not just all eggs in one basket, right? It's pretty brutal. I mean, like, he made Sandrine's for Harry Kim, and this is how Harry Kim repays him, by getting with Lieutenant Nicoletti. Cold hands, cold heart? Not when she plays the oboe. Yeah, what's weird about this scene is that it seems to come as a surprise to them both that... Kim has succeeded in his seduction of Susan Nicoletti and Paris did not know that this was happening. I thought they were better <laughs> friends than this. I did too. We don't get a ton of time to deal with this though because they get called up to the bridge where it is New Planet Who Dis. And um, the planet they are pulling up to has satellites in orbit, but they aren't working and uh, they get it up on the view screen, and it, and it does not look good. It's, it's been wiped out by a solar flare. Neelix is on the bridge, and he's like that psychic that isn't very good at being a TV psychic. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like getting information and passing it on as, as a discovery of his own. Right. I like yeah. that moment. That's what's called a cold read, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, uh, they scan the surface, no life signs, but uh, they need to go deeper. This is kind of an inception type of situation. Yeah, if the, if the planet stopped orbiting and fell, you'd know you weren't in a dream. Mm-hmm. And uh, they get hailed from the surface as they start scanning. Uh, a, a familiar face pops up on screen, Adam. It's Thomas Kopachi. Yeah, it's uh, Kieran Arisa's dad. <laughs> and the guy that sells the Western wear in uh, No Country for Old Men. My favorite role of his was that one. Oh, man. So good. How are those Laramies treating you? <laughs> you got socks? We only carry white. That's all I wear. <laughs> Do you get many customers who come in here not wearing any clothes? It was unusual. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, I think we did every line he had in that movie. I think we remembered all From of memory. Co- Copachi's lines. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so this is one of those voicemails from beyond the grave saying basically like yeah our planet got fucked up if you found this like we're asleep just leave us be they get the sense that that everyone's dead from a solar flare but like science fiction weapons we've heard of before all the tech remained yeah and i was like oh this is going to be great let's scrape that tech off of this planet and take it and get the hell out of here nobody nobody's uh, here watching the store just grab it they're massively inconvenienced by this hail because it makes clear (laughs) that that they can't just take this stuff that people are still alive below the crust yeah and that takes us into the theme song they aren't dead adam they're inceptioning these people have been been in a shared dream down there and it is in pretty short order that the voyager has beamed up all of the survivors of this in like a, they're in like cryostasis, but all the cryo chambers are plugged into each other. Can I make a suggestion for the future? I know this technology is being developed, right? It would have to be. Hmm. Cryogenic technology that, that preserves a body, you know, to shoot into space. I mean, I know people are, are shooting ropes into containers and 
cryogenically <laughs> freezing their ropes. Uh, yeah. Why don't we make some warm cryo, mm. you know? Like, why not suspend a body in a tube that you don't have to wipe the condensation from? <laughs> like a like a cryo sous vide? Yeah, like, it would really save the step of wiping the glass, because then you could just see through the glass. Cry- cryo implies cold, I guess, so it would yeah. be sous vide stasis is what, is what I'm looking for. That's what I'm suggesting. Yeah, I mean, mm. because every time you get a scene like this, you got to wipe that glass. Yeah. It'd be it'd be a lot a lot cleaner if uh, if they weren't cold, but they they are, and uh, it's just too bad I don't need to set auto destruct because the sound of my fingers across <laughs> the sweat glass <laughs> so satisfying. <laughs> now that I've wiped the glass clear of the condensation, I'm gonna take a paint roller <laughs> and roll it up the side of the cryo chamber. <laughs> there appears to be a uh, a dead in one of them yeah and then the messenger himself in another the guy they saw on the facetime yeah and the pods are are oriented like kind of a blooming onion they've got <laughs> there it's like circular around this kind of computer core in the middle yeah and what we learn after kim starts hitting buttons it's not just that, that they're being kept alive by the tech. There's also an interconnectedness about their situation. The, their bodies and their minds are plugged into the computer, but also each other. Yeah. And, the, and it appears as though they're, they're playing some sort of video game in there together. Yeah, so this is a bit puzzling, and they have a McLaughlin group to talk about it. Issue one. And one big part of the mystery is that this was supposed to be over a while ago, the system is designed in a way where the people inside were supposed to be able to assess when the planet was ready for them to wake back up and trigger their own thaw, which they didn't do when the when the biosphere was ready. And uh, the Voyager crew are kind of curious about why, and also why two of them passed away, because it just doesn't make a lot of sense. And the dock barges into this McLaughlin group on on TV <laughs> to tell them that they were they were scared to death. Yeah. That's how they died. Like they watched the ring video. <laughs> and they were just found in a closet. Mhm. That was the scariest find in the ring video, I thought. The closet girl. Mhm. Maybe they like it in there. I don't think so. The doc advances a theory in the shared simulation, they are making a sort of simulated, not human, because the very term is racist, but human centipede-like <laughs> creature, and these two were in the back. <laughs> uh, they also can't just, like, unplug everybody because it will it will break their brains, and yeah. so uh, they, they pull the crispy dead bodies out of the two tubes that have uh, have deads in them, and they load Harry and BLT in yeah, as a sort of mental away team. I'd want to be pretty clear about how well the inside of that tube had been cleaned and sanitized before I hopped in, <laughs> yeah. because the suggestion is that these people were dead for many years inside there. Yeah. Like, you know, sometimes something will have spoiled in a fridge and no matter how well you clean it, like you can take the drawers out, right? hose yeah. them out in the backyard with soap and stuff, like really get in there. Sometimes it takes a while Yeah. for that, uh, that old lingers. lettuce smell to pass. Yeah. Uh, I mean, fortunately, I guess they were frozen, so they might must not have been rotting. Yeah. But why were they all like charred looking? That's what I'm saying. It's that they look like a pile of raisins. Yeah. They look like the inside of a whiskey aging barrel. What the hell? <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's how they make the chambers. They they make them like barrels, like like Cooper's would. They just fry the inside with a blowtorch. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's how they cleaned the uh, the tubes out also. I mean, that would yeah. get it nice and clean. The slurry has a nice smoky flavor. Well, and Kim and BLT are going to come out all oaky and smooth. (laughs) So the plan is to go into the program and see what's what. And there uh, there are, like, safeties in place. 
yeah. that are that are suggested that will that will keep them safe, right? Five minute limit seems reasonable. Yeah. Uh, and also, like, we can pull you out whenever. So don't worry about it. Nothing nothing bad is going to happen. I'm just going to apply these metal pucks to your forehead. Head on. Apply directly to the forehead. Close the door and send you on your way. It feels like this is Kim and BLT's first pairing since the pilot episode for anything, doesn't it? It happened so fast, I wasn't really following, like, what the logic was behind them being the two to go on the adventure Mm-hmm. Aside from Kim having kind of been there to like do the initial tricordering, yeah. But um, for for whatever reason, they are the two that get picked, and mm-hmm. they are uh, they are sent in, and uh, the camera pulls back to reveal a move along home style set <laughs> inside this shared uh, dreamscape. It's swinging so hard at the ball here that star trek occasionally does yeah it made me nervous it is really a combination of move along home and loxana's mud pit spa yeah in a way that any star trek viewer that has seen those episodes is immediately on edge and you know the episode doesn't do a lot to dissuade your fear initially but maybe that's intentional what made me feel like I was in good hands is the introduction of Michael McKeon's clown. Yeah. Because that actor has a way about him that just makes me believe. And his clown face betrays a sinister intent that I totally read as real. We're all friends here. Fight that clown. He is really freaky. And, yeah. Uh, I'm like strapping in. I'm like, okay, we are in the episode that every Star Trek series seems to insist upon having. Right. And we're just going to have to deal with that fact. But at least Michael McKeon is here to give some interesting performances. He's our bad episode Sherpa here, and I feel like we're better for it. Yeah. We get some interesting characters. There's a little person who Kim interacts with. There's a kind of Dia de Muertos a uh, character that's actually played by the guy that uh, played Mr. Hom, mm-hmm. though we never see his face because he's right. always in in mask. And um, I think that like this episode is very smart about the way it's directed because I think they had you know eight circus performers or something, mm-hmm. and the cuts break continuity. But you know, like you see the same performer like in a shot and a reverse shot, but. It always feels like it is in service of making you feel more ill at ease and making the environment more confusing and right. and more of a hall of mirrors. Yeah, you know how you can lens a thing for optimal portraiture look? Yeah. There's also like kind of a warped feeling to the compositions here throughout. Like people are closer to the camera than they ordinarily would. And people are arranged in such a way that feels very unnatural. The The whole thing mixes together nicely in a way that just makes you feel uneasy. And like the way characters like enter and exit frames, you know, like Michael McKeon is always like standing up into frame and like the camera cuts to across the room and he's standing over there and stuff. It's a very original series color palette, too, in a way that Move Along Home wasn't quite like I feel like all of the colors in the circus scene setup feel like they are those primary TOS uniform colors or yeah. or wall texture colors or whatever. I don't know if that was an intentional point to, but it sure felt that way in kind of a visual throwback. It did. And the light is hard too in that same way, right? Yeah, absolutely. They're sort of pushed toward the center of this space, which contains a hot pink guillotine, which is demonstrated to be very effective on a log. And it's looking like they're about to be uh, subjected to the guillotine treatment. And uh, this starts to turn into like a physical altercation. A lot of uh, axe handles getting thrown by BLT, but these clown freaks seem to be invulnerable. Yeah, and that's scary, right? Because we see it all the time. You drop an axe handle on someone, they're going to fall. That's it. Not the case here. Yeah. So they're loading Harry Kim into the guillotine. Harry! And uh, it looks like it's just about over for him. 
when uh, the other occupants of this shared experience walk in. These are the uh, the aliens that were in stasis. Right, and Viorsa is, is the is the lead guy, the Thomas Capacci guy, explains to the clown that if you kill Kim, it's only going to bring more people, and the more people that come, the greater the chance that someone's going to turn off the program and kill you. And that inspires Harry Kim to say the explanation part out loud. He sort of takes the explanation baton and runs with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. After it's clear he's not going to die here. The theory that Harry Kim advances is that this clown is some kind of computer virus that infected the system. And boy, if if it's possible for there to be a clown virus, that really makes the coronavirus seem like a cakewalk. <laughs> This is the moment where Kim hits triangle to set up camp <laughs> and and save the game before like maybe turning it off and going to bed for the night. Yeah. But when that option is presented, they're stopped by the clown. The clown makes it very clear that by leaving, he will be forced to murder one of the remaining three scientists who are in stasis. Yeah. That is not an acceptable outcome for Harry and BLT. There's now a control panel on the wall, and the clown really wants them to make it go away. He doesn't like the uh, intrusion of it. So he's got to sit there and, like, make stringy bird meat right. over and over again, <laughs> which is just so tedious. Like, you've got all of this bear fat. Like, how many sticks of dynamite can you possibly sit there and make? You just sit there for, like, ten minutes. Yeah. And then you the take it to buttons. town and try and sell it, and it's just not really worth anything. Yeah, it's worthless. Fucking complete waste of time. But none of this is real. Of course it's real. It's real as a nightmare. Back in the cargo bay, they've kind of detected the stress that BLT and Kim are under, and they're confused why they didn't just take the exit when it was presented to them. And in the program, the clown knows where the tax documents are. He makes it clear that... He knows what's inside their minds. I mean, this is the the main threat, right? This isn't just a trap that if only BLT and Kim can come up with a plan to get out of it, like they'll be able to flee. This is almost like Locutus of Borg. All of their ideas have been assimilated into the clown. He knows about Kim's girlfriend back home. He knows about BLT's parents. He could draw the Delaney sisters from memory. It's very unfair. He just he he can really get under their skin in a way that yeah. they can't get under his. But um, they're able to persuade him, like send one of us back to take your demands to the captain, because all she is going to do is figure out a way to to turn you off unless you make contact with her. Coffee black. Make it yourself. I'm trying to help you see this as an opportunity to grow. Make it yourself. Back in the cargo bay, uh, Paris is like. God, what am I going to do now without Harry Kim? I'll never be able to seduce Susan Nicoletti. And Janeway's like, well, in order to seduce Susan Nicoletti, you'll have to throw Harry Kim's book away. (laughs) And that is now your clarinet. It's not that simple. What is interesting about this scene is that on the one hand, we are told that the clown knows your thoughts and fears. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, the clown is off talking to his own people, leaving our people alone to like huddle up and have a thing. How does that work? And it's here where explained that there is a delay in the system, right? Like like Kim and BLT and this crew can talk about shit, but the clown isn't going to know it for several minutes later because that is the time it takes for the computers to sort of process your thoughts and give those thoughts to the clown. The clown is not omniscient and... There is a slight advantage in there. So he comes back and he explains to them that BLT is going to be the one that is sent back up into the conscious world. And if uh, he doesn't like the way things go, he will kill Harry Kim and perhaps more hostages. I like how little of a fight BLT puts up here. For being the one that gets sent back. She's smart. She's no dummy. (laughs) The clown's demand is to go on existing, and they have a McLaughlin group to discuss this. 
Issue two. This is one of those harshly lit McLaughlin groups where we kind of get a visual language of fear here as they talk about fear. Right. Like a lot of hard spotlit faces, a lot of hard shadows. Yeah. And there is the delay in processing, but there's also the delay in getting somebody out of this kind of stasis. The doctor is mm-hmm. explaining that it'll take 10 minutes at the quickest to wake somebody up. And the clown would be wise to what was going on way ahead of that being complete and could could kill everybody. You know, it's like the Matrix. It's not real, but your mind makes it real. Why didn't they just say it like that? <laughs> Like a late 20th century motion picture, (laughs) Captain. The computer that runs this program needs a brain to keep going, and that's what's preventing them from just pulling everyone out and replacing it with some sort of computer brain replacement. They figure out fairly quickly that, like, no artificial replacement will be sufficient to make the clown happy. Yeah. How do they communicate with the clown without putting another life in danger, though? Like, that's the essential question from this scene. Like, because we can't just keep sticking people in there that the clown will take as hostages. Right. How do we do that thing with the megaphone where we're yelling up at the top of the building, you know? Yeah. We got to get a negotiator on the phone and we need to keep that person out of harm's way. So sending BLT back in is not really an option. There's coffee in this artificial world of theirs. Back in the program, Fiorsa has lost hope. I mean, and it's clear that he lost hope a long time ago. He's just sharing that loss of hope with the group in this scene. And he is bumming the whole group out. Yeah. One thing I thought a lot about in this episode was there is something so annoying about the environment that they created in this episode. And when you think about the fact that these people have been living in it for almost 20 years, the nightmareness of that is really heavy, actually. Yeah, I really like Thomas Capacci's performance as sort of like a little bit numb to the thing. Numb, if not totally depressed by his circumstances. But I was surprised by the other two scientists there not demonstrating other versions of how one might be interacting with their reality. Like, I've got to believe one of them would want to go into the guillotine, you know? Right. End this fucking thing. This is horrible. Survival instinct is a powerful thing. Yeah. And the clown catches Harry thinking about breaking out, which is something that the other three have trained themselves not Mm -hmm. to do because whenever they think about it, the clown will subject them to even more terror. Whenever they think of busting out, they instead think about baseball. (laughs) Right. And then they can last a lot longer in the program. Yeah. But Harry has not trained his mind yet, and so he is subjected to some new terrors by the clown. The first is uh, that the clown makes him old, and this is really, really good old man makeup that they put him in. I was really impressed, given how many times Star Trek has gone for old person makeup on a young character and missed. This is not aging Catherine Pulaski episode at all. This is really great. It's really great, and like it's on screen for a minute, and maybe that's why it works so well. Is that it's yeah. it's there? It's used so sparingly that you don't see the cracks in it. But it was I was so impressed. Like this was this looked better than uh, the guy that they did old man makeup on in Inception. Yeah, which was this like awesome. Which had like way more resources to throw at this problem. And then, Adam, they make Harry Kim look like a baby, and this makeup is even more impressive. He really looks like a baby. Garrett Wong is such a good actor. Garrett Wong will make you believe that he's a baby. And he did. <laughs> this is the sort of thing they teach in uh, in really high-level acting classes. Yeah. I got to go to that uh, Skirball Center exhibit of uh, old Star Trek mm-hmm. stuff. Lots of, uh, lots of screen-used costumes in there. Seeing the, the baby ba- costume, baby Starfleet uniform would have been really, really fun. Yeah, you know, someone took that home. That's someone's baby Halloween costume. <laughs> yeah, seriously. This moment comes to a climax where it seems as though uh, Kim is going to be tortured by the clown. Yeah, I mean, he's that... certainly being mentally tortured here. He's come to understand that the clown is 
the personification of the fear of these people in the mm -hmm. simulation. And he's doing a lot of box breathing. Yeah, he's trying to use mantras and platitudes to talk himself out of being afraid, but this is fucking scary. We've talked about it over the years, how you want to go full Brando yeah. to really cement yourself in the, in, the, in the Mount Star Trek actor more. The very same scene that Garrett Wong acts as old, <laughs> acts as baby, he fully evacuates on this table. <laughs> before the doc shows up in just one of the great brave acting choices in star trek it's the only way to sell this emotion and he and he commits really one of the greats garrett wong the clown is bringing some sort of blade down on him and we are saved at the last possible minute excuse me you're not holding that properly dr schmollis to the rescue to act as, uh, as Captain Janeway's envoy into the dream world. And this, is, this really puts the clown back on his heel because he was not expecting to meet somebody whose mind he could not read. Doc is such a great choice for this moment. He's such a great negotiator because he can't be flapped. He's unflappable, literally. And uh, I, th I thought it was a great choice also in the script not to go into too much techno babble about how they're doing this. Mm -hmm. the, mm -hmm. um, the rules are like a little bit arbitrary in this episode, but like you don't really care about them because that's not really what it's about. I was really surprised at the idea of we need a great negotiator for this someone who's not going to fold under the pressure from the clown <laughs> and then doc shows up great choice and his negotiating tactic is we'll give you everything if you let the hostages go yeah and then the clown turns it down i was shocked by this i was shocked by both sides of the negotiation yeah it would have been very smart for fear the clown to accept this this first offer it was first offer best offer and <laughs> what they like what they came up with is basically the moriarty thing like we'll come up yeah. with a way to keep your simulation going despite the fact that you're not going to have these minds to run it on anymore the clown assumes that Janeway will not go so far as to turn off the program because it would kill Ensign Kim and everyone else. But what the clown does not know is how often Janeway threatens to destroy the ship. <laughs> yeah. And so while the clown would correctly assume that Janeway would trade Kim's life for the ability to shut off this awful program, he couldn't possibly guess that she's willing to destroy the entire ship to do it. <laughs> Yeah, so this is a bit of an impasse, and the doctor comes back out of the simulation and into Six Bay to talk to the captain about what is going on. And the captain is is pretty quick to say, like, yes, indeed, I will kill Harry if that's what we have to do. <laughs> you don't know how badly I want to not just kill Harry, but all of us on the ship. Yeah. Ship included. <laughs> I already disabled the part of the self-destruct system that would have to have Chakotay agree with me. I've got to get that platinum, get that enlargement. <laughs> a good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. 
One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. I've got to get that Latinwood now. Are you planning a heist? Gold. There's a weird bit of dialogue that happened in the previous scene having to do with optronic pathways. It's something that Viorsa said. Yeah. And it doesn't make any sense to anyone post-gaming the negotiation that happened. And as they batted around the table, BLT correctly assumes that this is, this is sort of like a code. It's a little bit of subterfuge. That Viorsa is, is, has flushed down the pipe. Yeah. And what it gets them onto is the idea of turning off not the mines, but the simulation that the mines are in. Mm-hmm. And this would be something that they would have to do pretty quickly in order to keep the clown from notice what's go- noticing what's going on. But in talking to the doctor, the clown was also distracted from the other people. So they think maybe they can go in and sort of ledger domain the clown so that it's not that the clown is not paying attention to the fact that uh, that BLT is dismantling the system piece by piece. And this is a very interesting bit of tell and show here. Yeah. Because the suggestion of removing the program from the brains and not the brains from the program gives us a scene where we're back with the clown and stuff is just disappearing off of walls and furniture's leaving the room. Yeah. Because the clown is so focused on talking to the doc after he shows up again. The doc is coming with an offer of a cloaking device, which would... Uh... You know, I guess the like the clown doesn't have to worry about these people aging out because they're in stasis, I guess. So he just wants to, like, continue to exist in a way where he doesn't get messed with by the next chip that comes along. Right. And interruption is a threat because any new person coming onto the scene may have the power to turn off the program. Yeah. And I liked how, like, how naive the clown was. Like, the clown is scary and, and like... There are areas in which the clown is not naive at all, mm-hmm. but in like when like the cloaking device is a concept that is entirely new to him, and so 
that has to kind of be explained in order mm-hmm. to seem like a tempting option for him. The clown notices that Steph is disappearing from the scene and becomes very angry in this moment. It's an attack! It's an attack! Red alert! Red alert! And we get a lot of cross-cutting starting now between the mob taking Viorsa to the guillotine and BLT being halfway through the job of removing stuff from the program. Yeah. And then Viorsa trying to escape the mob, but he can't stop them. If only the uh, optronic pathway she turned off first was the guillotine one. I know, right? BLT's got to be feeling pretty bad about this. She is trying to Shimoda the system, but she does not Shimoda fast enough. Yeah. Viorsa gets chopped. They put it all back. They 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 realize that this is not the way that they are going to get out of this situation. Yeah, it's that moment in the in the hostage film where the hostage taker executes one of the hostages and then aims the gun at the next person. And this is the moment where Janeway's forced to abort the rescue plan. Very scary moment. And the captain announces that they've lost and it cuts right to McKeon saying, we've won. Janeway is Vidian mad here. Your decision to capitulate saved the lives of the other hostages, Captain. You should take some comfort from that. I don't. I love how often she is really angry and not yeah. upset, like like a sort of controlled rage yeah. at the circumstances. I really like this about her character. Yeah. The camera pans down and she's got a pencil in her hand. <laughs> 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 yeah. It's interesting because... Where did all these pencils come from? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I just had a huge supply from the Dixon Ticonderoga company before they left Space Dock. Why are they using their replicator credits on on something they can't use for anything? (laughs) Except for breaking. The puzzle here is like, like, what does fear want? What is the... When when your adversary is like an emotion, what do you do about that? I mean, what do you do about it? I mean, I think that the the best thing to do is to to give your emotions an ultimatum, which is what Janeway does. (laughs) (laughs) That's good advice for anyone out there who's having a hard time dealing with their emotions. An ultimatum, the first thing to try, really. Right. And... uh, and this is uh, pitched to Fear the Clown, who is like, you, you don't get to issue ultimatums. We won. And, and the doctor's like, yeah, but like you're plugged into her wall power. <laughs> like mm-hmm. She can throw the breaker whenever she wants. At any moment, she could grab the plug from the cord part and pull it out of the wall. <laughs> Just like when you're pulling it out, that's actually like easier to do, right? Like right. it's plugging it in when you're holding it from the cord that's really challenging. Yeah, but everyone does it the same way. Yeah. And Fear the Clown also only has a minute to agree to this. But the offer is this. Give up the hostages and Janeway will take their place. This is classic captaining right here. Yeah. She's going to give herself up. And so Janeway gets into the pod and the clown gets excited because he knows what's coming. Yeah, he can feel it. We get a dissolve to Janeway entering the scene and everything else having gone away. It's just Michael McKeon and Kate Mulgrew having a scene together. And this is like the moment I've wanted from the beginning of the episode. Yeah. And I love how they eliminate all the distractions to give us that. Yeah, that uh, was an interesting choice. The the All of the other circus performers disappearing. Do you think that's because these are capital A actors and... Like, by having a bunch of circus shit happening in the frame, it might diminish them as that? Trying to get a serious point across? I mean, I feel like the distractions would have been motivated, but I also mm-hmm. liked having them not there. Like, I, 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 yeah. I'm not quite sure how you make that call as a, as a director, but I think yeah. it was the right move. And it kind of lays bare, like, the... the complexity of this set like you know like there's so much crap going on on screen this entire time but they they built like a really big weird thing to make this Mm -hmm. episode Mm -hmm. and um and so she's explaining like uh yeah so like you get you let them go and 
you can have me. And he's like, well, how do I, how do you know that, uh, like, I'm going to hold up my end of the bargain? She says that she trusts fear. He can't, he can't quite, uh, experience her mind just yet though, because, uh, because of that lag that we've talked about. So, uh, they start warming up the hostages and there's, uh, we're waiting for them to, to you know their their own systems to take over so that he won't have the capacity to scare him to death and Janeway is just kind of buying time I've known fear it's a very healthy thing most of the time her way of doing this feels very seductive to me did you get that vibe too yeah not in like a sexy way but in like a in like the intellectual seduction so nobody here thinks power is sexy I love her confidence of like going in there to to trade blows with an emotion and being able to do it. Mm-hmm. And that's actually kind of like emblematic of the of the sort of message of this, right? Like the conquer mm-hmm. your fear and you will conquer death energy of this solution. Yeah. You know, while this isn't actually Janeway, it is it this this hologram of Janeway comes with the swagger that Janeway would have in right. in the same way, yeah. And uh, and it is revealed to Fear the Clown that this was uh, this was a trick. Janeway is not in stasis, but is you know she's only half plugged into his system. They sent a a hologram of her in, and he would have noticed if if she'd been in there long enough, but uh, he did not. Janeway's monologue to the clown coincides with the reduction of the program in the background, right? And this feels like an an in-camera effect almost. We're getting darker and darker in the frame, and so is Janeway. I like in the shot, reverse shot, it's not just the clown that's being reduced. It's both of them because the program is ending. The way this episode ends is so intense. Yeah, because... There's an order of operations here, right? Like the clown fades out with Janeway continuing to talk him into that fade to black. She basically says, like, you, you like all fear, will, will vanish. And they are lowering the lights on him. What will become of us? Of me. You're going to die, clown! I'm afraid. I was expecting a button, you know, like <laughs> I was blown away at the at the flex of where this episode throws the those three end credits up. This is two episodes in a row, Ben, where there's some intentionality with where those credits come. Yeah. And a utility to that that I'm really enjoying. I am, too. Did you like this episode? You know, I'm really easy to get along with. Most of the time. But I don't like bullying. I don't like threats, and I don't like you. I'm I mean, I'm always going to reflexively uh, be nervous about an episode that is like scary Star Trek episode. Yeah. Because there is a pretty spotty history of uh, of quality where that is a thing. I mean, I think it's a fun bit of business that we're watching this episode the day after Halloween or whatever. Right. I like that this is a different spin on that theme. I think Michael McKeon raises the floor on what this episode is and was to the level of of like respectability and goodness that is far far higher than a than a move along home style episode. Yeah. But this is not my favorite type of Star Trek episode generally. And I was very curious about whether or not it was regarded as such by the people who made it. So I dug into like the production of the ep. Uh-huh. And almost across the board, everyone was like, we really hit this one out of the park. <laughs> we did something really different. And it was really good for it. And I think creative people often conflate doing something really different with doing something really good. And I think that happened here. I don't think this is an especially good episode, but I think a lot of people see how different it is 
and regard it like that in a way that I kind of disagree with. Well, I think the issue of whether it's good comes down to whether you find it scary and whether or not you find the like the big theme of fear mm-hmm. to have been dealt with in an interesting way. Yeah, and I did I, really like Janeway kicking fear in the balls. Yeah, I kind of think that it it succeeds at that. And I really respect the hell out of the fact that they found a way to make it scary and compelling despite how corny it is visually. Like, yeah, this that is seems a, like a great challenge. Another episode that I was so glad I wasn't watching in a room where my wife was doing her serious job. Oof, you are so right about that. You, if you, all you're doing is looking at it, it does not work. And and that that moment, like the 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 Star Trek fan who's been burned by a move along home, uh, like I'm sitting in the on the couch, like watching what happens when Harry and VLT wake up in this environment, bracing myself, and then like at every turn was pleasantly surprised at how sophisticated the episode was in spite of that and like i know that there's like a way to do this episode that doesn't look as silly as this one does and bringing circus performers into star trek thing has almost never worked for me <laughs> but, but uh in spite of all that i thought uh this episode really succeeded in, in and and succeeded on hard mode you know it's a really great Janeway episode because her proximity to the threat is close. I mean, even though we know at the end her, when she starts shit-talking fear, she's not actually there. <laughs> but I mean, so often in Star Trek, we're view screen to view screen when we get a moment of pushback. And it felt different. It hit differently to see her get into this guy's face. Yeah. And tell him what she did. And I thought it was a great moment for her character. And uh, it made me like her more as a captain. It was good stuff. Well, do you want to see if the view screen has any Priority One messages on it, Adam? Oh, yeah. I'm going to dial it right up. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first Priority One message is of a commercial nature. Wow. And the message goes like this. Are you looking for great art to support your fandom? Yes. Go to VC Art and Photography. The artist is one of the best friends of DeSoto, and you'll see art from Trek-inspired images to landscapes to Australian rules football. <laughs> now that's a specific type of fandom. Right there. I'm I'm giving the uh, the two fingers point right now. Uh-huh. That's that's what they do in Australian rules football. The two uh, fingers. Oh, is it? There's a man in a big hat that he and he makes the two fingers, and that means you've done a good thing. That's great. <laughs> Every time I get two fingers, it means I did a bad thing. Hmm. Is your partner a total Rolaren? For a unique gift. For a friend or a loved one, let Virginia Collins create an image of your person as their favorite character. Hire custom art in mid-June. Get it by the end of July. It's amazing. Mixed media art suitable for framing. Dang. That rules. That's a faster turnaround than a priority one message, I think. By, <laughs> a by lot many speedier. months. <laughs> yeah. So uh, go to VC Art and Photography on Facebook and Instagram to uh, to browse what they've got there, you know, do a little window shopping before making a purchase of your own, and yeah. then uh, and then message VC Art and Photography for a custom quote. Is this does, is that short for Venture Capital Art and Photography, or is that short for Virginia Collins Art and Photography? What would what would be your guess? I'm sure Virginia Collins is dealing with that question quite a bit. <laughs> what do you need my money for, Virginia Collins? It seems like you got all the VC you need. Indeed. VC Art and Photography on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, we have another one here from a, of a personal nature from Captain Nucknack DeJodo. And, it and it's to the friends of DeJodo. It goes like this. To my esteemed crew, thanks for piloting me virtually through the Seattle Quadrant during this challenging year. 
I hereby grant the following promotions. Daniel, Chief of Science Lab Safety. Michael, Commander of Cetacean Ops. Leah, Dean of Shakespearean Studies. I really love you guys, and your message made me so happy. Thank you. Hey, we, we recognize Captain Nucknack. Yeah. From a the f- internet. A, a familiar name here in the P1 section of the show also. I know. I miss my Seattle friends at DeSoto. Good to see that they're thriving up there. Yeah. Ben, our final priority one message is from Tim. It is to Kelly. The message goes like this. It's been four years since you got me that P1 message. And guess what? We did fill that time with morning coffee and cartoons, road trips, beautiful recorder music, ice cream sandwiches, and reading nights. Ghost Cat even moved in with us. I can't wait to see you walk down the aisle if we haven't already. Wow. And remember, I love you and I like you. Really, really sweet. Yeah, that's good stuff by Tim and Kelly. That's like the, a uh, an anniversary of a P1 is like a new thing that yeah. that I like to see people celebrate. <laughs> the like you is so important to any relationship. Almost as important as the I love you part. Sometimes yeah. even more. It's big. If you'd like to get a priority one message for someone you like or for someone you love, head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. And hey, here's hoping it's both. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! I am a sucker for just a blatant insert shot when you need one. There was one such shot. I've got this is a time code Shimoda. If you go over to uh, 10 minutes and about 11 seconds <laughs> at, the, at that first McLaughlin group, they do an insert of a Chicote react here where he basically just does nothing for about four <laughs> seconds on screen. <laughs> and we've both had to do this before. Like, you don't quite have the coverage you thought you had. Yeah. You need to maintain the continuity of the scene you're dodging around to the different characters reacting oh i don't have enough of this one thing but we do have four seconds of chakotay yeah yeah plausibly listening <laughs> <laughs> like they cut right back to this angle later where he actually delivers dialogue yeah but this totally looked to me like a we haven't called action yet but yeah. we're rolling well i think that that's like critically like i think that that edit works because Chakotay is about to say something. It's it's a shot of him thinking of the thing that he's going to say in the next shot. Yeah, like if it had cut to Neelix, it would have bumped a lot more. Uh, yeah. But yeah, like uh, that's a that's a great call. Great Shimoda. Um, <laughs> I'm going to give it to to the clown just because yeah. it was so fun to see Michael McKeon in a in a Star Trek thing. A real great uh, that guy to uh, to see pop up. One and, of our uh, great actors yeah. and, and comedy minds, for sure. It really ruled. Yeah. Objection noted. We'll do this without you. Do it. Do it. Do it. Okay, Adam. Why don't you head over to gach.biz slash game. Get those dice ready. Well, I tell you that next episode we will be covering season two, episode 24, Two Vix. What? A bizarre occurrence during transport causes Tuvok and Neelix to fuse into one alien humanoid known as Tuvix. I came into Voyager not knowing much about it at all, but even I know of this horrifying monstrosity. (laughs) And, uh, And how divisive this character is. Yeah. Yeah, my, our I'm, friend Manu Sadia has a whole Twitter account called Justice for Tuvix. The thing about that, Ben, is that I haven't had an opinion about it because I haven't seen the episode. Yeah. But I'm excited to choose a side. <laughs> I am too. After the next episode. And I I'm think gonna, we like narrowly missed an opportunity to have this be a uh, Measure of a Man episode on the Game of Buttholes. Uh, yeah, instead it's going to be like a fucking bathtub episode or something. <laughs> yeah, where are we? Ben, I've gone to the game of buttholes. The will of the caretaker. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. And our runabout is on. 
Square 35, one square ahead, is the Neelix's Galley episode. That's where we're just gonna drink a bottle of Talaxian Champagne. That would be a pretty good square to hit for, uh, for, for a, a heavy, legendary episode. A heavy episode that asks us to uh, resolve a moral quandary. I have routinely rolled a one uh, in my history of this game. Let's see what I get. I have not rolled a one. I have rolled a three. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Which puts us on square 38. It is a regular old episode by you and me. Probably wow. appropriate for Probably the occasion, best. right? That we have our wits about us for this one, because I know that I know that this in, inspires passionate opinions. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm excited to have one of those for once. <laughs> <laughs> well, you then, heard it here first, guys. Next week, I'm going to bring an opinion. Amazing. Um, yeah. It'll be an interesting first for this Star Trek <laughs> review show. <laughs> Uh, that'll be next week. In the meantime, if you enjoy the program, uh, consider becoming a monthly supporter at MaximumFun.org slash join. That's a great way to help make sure that this show keeps going for all of the episodes that we have yet to review. Support for the show makes the hiring of a producer possible, which is only going to make the shows better going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Very grateful for your support the whole year through. Indeed. We uh, really appreciate the hard work of our card daddy, Bill Tilly, who runs our social media accounts at Greatest Trek on Instagram and Twitter. And uh, he also moderates our Twitch streams. We do, uh, we do live streams uh, about every other week over on twitch.tv slash Greatest Trek. Yeah. If you'd like to join a community of Friends of DeSoto, you can find those all over the internet. We've got Reddits. We've got facebook groups we've got drunkshimoda.com discord we've got greatestgen.fandom.com for the wiki and uh people use the hashtag greatestgen on twitter yeah friends of DeSoto are making friends with each other it's great the music you're hearing right now it's the picard song by dark materia dark materia graciously allowed us to use it forever <laughs> for nothing <laughs> And that is why we thank Dark Materia at the end of every episode. The theme and interstitial music for The Greatest Generation was made by Adam Ragusia, longtime friend of DeSoto and friend of ours. He is the captain of his own very popular YouTube video channel. You should go over there and get inspired for what you're going to make for dinner tonight. You sure should. And with that, we will be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager and an episode of The Greatest Generation Voyager that is hosted by one person named Badam who must be killed for the good of the show. I'm willing to do that. <laughs> I'm willing to kill whatever that is. <laughs> with my bare hands if I have to. God damn. Spoiler alert for Adam's opinion. <laughs> Before they're even introduced to me, I don't even know yeah. who or what they are. <laughs> they're already dead. Three. Two, one, one, two, <laughs> two, three, four. We should count off the show like a rock band every yeah, time. You, just Bruce Springsteen, the, <laughs> the beginning of the episode. <laughs> What's up, Madison Square Garden? Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.